morning. I'm doing good. Happy Father's Day, guys. Uh, thank you. What a what a it, it is a great joy to be a dad. Uh, not always the easiest thing. His mothers would attest to as well. You know, Father's Day isn't nearly as big as Mother's Day. Did you know that? No, really. Uh, think about it. Candy sales are down. Card sales are not as profitable. This is all true. Fewer calls are made, but more collect calls are. It's true. Church attendance is usually down compared to Mother's Day. Why? Because on Mother's Day, preachers have a tendency to sing the praises, the hosannas of the sacrificial mothers. But then when the dads come, they get chastised and oftentimes beat up for what they're not doing. And so they say, well, why would I want to go to church and end up having to walk out feeling beat down? Well, today I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. I want to build you up because I'm a father. And I know some of the stresses and the strains of it. I looked up the definition of father in the dictionary. This is what it is. A man who has begotten a child, semicolon, especially a man as he is related to his child or children. I like that. See, a lot of men can have children. They can have babies, but it takes something else. It takes true relationship to establish being a father. Now, I also found this interesting, a little sidebar. I looked at the first word right before fathers and the last word right after all the different etymology or uh, renditions of, of father, fatherhood. Father appears right before fathead. And a fathead is a stupid blockhead person. But right after father is the word fathom. The word fathom, the, the actual first definition is two arms outstretched to embrace or measure. That's in the Webster's, third Webster's uh, college dictionary that I have. Now, I find that interesting because that's kind of how dads line up. A lot of people, if you watch TV even, you talk to kids, oh, my dad's a fathead. He's a blockhead. Or there's the other kids that go, yeah, my dad, all I remember is how much he loved me and how much he embraced me. And that's really what fathers are to do, is to be, well, fathom fathers that open our arms and to embrace our kids. Last week, you know, I was gone, and I spoke at a church, and I, I'm gonna, I did a, a talk on <clears throat> teenage rebellion. And it came from this passage that I'm going to be talking about today, but I'm going to take a whole different angle. Because as I was, as I was preparing and studying for that talk, Something hit me for the first time, and I've read this, I'll bet I've read Luke 15 150 times. It's the first time, though, that I really noticed this little passage. The prodigal, he's in total rebellion, he's away deep in the pit, and all of a sudden it says that he comes to his senses. And you know what it says three times after he comes to his senses? You know what it says? He uses this phrase. He's rebelled, he's run away, he's in the depths of everything, and he comes to his senses, and three times he says, my father, my father, my father. And I find that amazing that the man that he actually rebelled against, he still knew it was his father that he could return to. And so Jesus begins to tell this story 
really, if you read verse 1 of chapter 15, to confront the Pharisees and the religious people so they could begin to see just how great and how magnanimous Father God is toward his people. So today we're going to look at that father in Luke chapter 15 who did a lot of things right because he really does picture our heavenly father, God. But there's no other perfect fathers. So I think it's probably possible that as I go through some of these things that I want us to thank our dads for today, that you would say, yeah, my dad did some of those things. Not perfectly, but by the time we're done, I think that we can see that these are some of the things our father did and just as importantly, some of the things that we want to make sure that we're doing as fathers and grandfathers. This is what I know about Creekside dads that I'm familiar with. Dang, we're not perfect, are we? But you know what I know the ones that I've fairly been walking with for years? I know you're working hard to get this thing right. I know it is important to you and it is a priority to be the best father that you can be. And that's what I love about Creekside men. And I know that a lot of men, uh, somebody said at our 20-year anniversary party, the reason they loved coming here is because they felt they could come and be a man with other men. And guys, what I want you to know is young people in this church are watching you. They are paying attention to your life, even beyond your kids. It was probably 15, my son, my youngest son is 27. It was probably about 15 years ago, probably when, when they were growing up a lot of times, we would go out to lunch together or go out to breakfast together and we'd talk about things. I went through a file of my, uh, that I keep on my sons, a good file. And, uh, and, and, I, and I found this thing that I'd forgotten that I did. But one time I was sitting with Jamie and we were talking about the men in the church. And I said, Jamie, tell me about the men in the church. What do you see? Tell me the ones that you've watched. And he's only like probably... 11, 12 years old, and he listed 13 men. And I said, well, tell me, what is it, what, what, do, you, what do you notice about them? And I'm only going to read about six or seven of them because those guys are still here and some of the others have moved away. But let me just, from a 10 or 12-year-old's perspective, what he said about some of the men in our church 12, 15 years ago. He said, Jim Warford, he's gone through a lot, and he still loves God. He said about Kent Middleton. These are men that he picked out. He's kind and he's accepting. Ralph Endress, a good father. Todd Butler, stick to itness. Stuck around when other people left. Tim Rogers, fun and funny. Billy Butler, nice and hard working. I find it interesting, you know, that, that young boys, young children, they do, they look up to men. And that's why what we do is so important. And I want us to look this morning at some things that we could not only imitate, but this message really will speak to everybody here. Because I'm not just going to challenge the fathers, but ultimately I'm challenging each one of us that on this Father's Day that we really do evaluate and say, what have we said thanks to for our fathers from this passage? First thing I want you to notice is that the father provided for his family. Now, if you read the story of the prodigal son and the father, you know what? The father had goods. He had robes. He had rings. He had fattened calves. So he was well off. He did pretty good. But their family was far from perfect, but he provided for them. First Timothy 5.18 says that this is part of what we do as men for our family. As a matter of fact, Paul writes and he says it's worse 
that you don't provide for your family than even being an unbeliever. Now, the question I sometimes get, well, Pastor, does that mean that, well, that, that a woman can't be the breadwinner? Absolutely not. I've tried to get Trina to do that for 25 years. But, <clears throat> I mean, she's doing her part, but, you know, if she could... If she could pull in, you know, some big bucks, go for it. And I say that to women. I mean, if, if, if you're a man and it works out between you and your wife that the man stays home because the woman is so gifted and makes the, the majority of the money and one wants to stay home with the kids, that's fine. But ultimately, the responsibility falls on the father to be the provider. Now, this is what I know, too, about men. Once a baby is birthed into a family in the shadow of all that joy, you know what most men feel? This incredible weight of responsibility. It's so sobering to realize for the first time in our lives with that first child that there's this little person that is totally dependent on me for the basics of life. Well, it's not only sobering, there's a, uh, an expense and a cost reality as well. Have you noticed that? This week I was reading in the Business Times. Um, it says this, kids now more expensive than ever. And I read this during the week, and then it was in the Contra Costa Times yesterday. You might have seen it. The United States Department of Agriculture did a study on the cost of raising kids. And obviously, it can vary based on income, location, geographically where you are. But the median, the middle-income family to raise a child from birth through high school now costs in 2011 dollars expect to spend $234,900. That doesn't include college. Your dad could have bought a vacation home. He could have bought a yacht with that kind of cash. But no, he said, I want to have a child. I want to have children. Now, the writer of the article I wrote was kind of cynical, had kind of a cynical edge because he concluded, he said, children are the gift that keeps on taking. <laughs> at least financially. And I suppose that's the reason someone said as well that a father carries pictures where his money used to be. Isn't that true? See, we'd all agree, wouldn't we, friends, that this is a pretty significant part of fatherhood. But as important as it is for a father to take care and to provide, the affection is also an incalculable part of fatherhood. A dad doesn't have to get it right all the time. We can be pretty clumsy, but what our kids, what our spouse wants to see, though, is that we are trying in expressing, growing in expressing our love and our affection beyond simply giving goods. And you'll see in just a few minutes as we read further down that this father was an affectionate father. I want to ask you something because this is pretty practical here. Have you ever thanked your father for, for providing your basic needs? Well, you know, my dad, he didn't do a real good job of that. He didn't get me all the stuff that other kids got. We moved a lot. He was gone a lot. And I hear that sometimes. Can I tell you something? Be realistic. Few things in life are ideal. And chances are, chances are your dad was doing the best that he could with his opportunities and the capabilities that he had. I don't remember my dad ever saying, I love you, and I don't remember him ever saying that I'm proud of you. But it's interesting, I never doubted that he loved me and gave me what he could based on who he was and where he was in his life. So on this day, 
maybe it's a good time that you would communicate your love and appreciation to your father and just say, thanks, Dad, that you took care of me. You provided for me. You gave me the best that you could. Well, this father was also really, really generous. He didn't just provide for his kids, but he was also really generous. Luke 15, 11 and 12, he said, He also said, A man had two sons. The younger came to him and said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country. Get this, where he squandered his estate in foolish living. He's got this young son, comes up to him, basically runs up to him, and he demands his inheritance. I want you to catch the translation of what he's really communicating here. He's really saying, I want you dead. That's how you get an inheritance. There's really no other way. So he becomes this rebel with a cause. He says, I don't want what you have. I, I, I want what you have. I don't want who you are. I just want the goods that you've got. I don't know about you, but that's so brutal and so hurtful if you're a father, that you've taken care of your kids for so long. But what's even more incredible is the father's response. What does he say? Or what does he do? He liquidates his investments. He sells off his condos, cashes out a third of his inheritance for the younger son. This is a very magnanimous father. See, few things can hurt more than to give and to give and then to have your life and your family values rejected. And there's probably a lot of us in here today that would say, yeah, I've experienced that to different degrees. Now, your father probably didn't advance your inheritance. I don't know if there's anybody here that that's happened. But just to be very practical, I'll bet there's a lot of us here where our father went beyond what we needed and gave us a whole lot of good things. He took care of our necessities, but he also took care of some of those, well, those fashion things that we like. He took care of all these athletic things that we needed. It might be a mitt, it might be shoes, it might be a uniform, it might be equipment. He took care of all of our prom things, paid for our camp, gave us an allowance. All of these things beyond our general necessities. Very generous. And then there's another thing you hear about fathers all the time. Oh, there's, you know, they don't spend enough time with their kids. Can I tell you something? I see a lot of fathers here at Creekside that work really hard to get quality time with their kids. And sometimes it's not the quantity. It is simply the quality of time with their kids. They're working hard at that to express their love. And that's what I love about Creekside dads. Irma Bombeck wrote this little ditty. It's great. It's called this. Daddy just didn't know how to show love. I want to read it to you. It was mom who held the family together. Dad just went to work every day and came home, and she'd have a list of sins that we'd committed, and, and he'd give us the what for all about those sins. Well, I broke my leg on the swing set, and, of course, it was mom who held me in her arms all the way to the hospital. Dad pulled the car right up to the door of the emergency room, and when they asked him to move, move it because that space was reserved for emergency vehicles, he shouted, What do you think this is, a tour bus? But it was mom who carried me in. 
It seems all my life, Dad was parking the car someplace and coming in wet or half frozen. My mom never left me for a moment, though. Dad always seemed a little out of place at birthday parties. He just kind of busied himself, blowing up balloons, setting up tables, running errands. But it was Mom who always carried in the cake with candles on it for me to blow out. I remember when Mom told Dad to teach me how to ride a bicycle. I told him not to let go, but he said it was time and let go. I fell, and Mom ran over to pick me up, but, but Dad waved her off. I was so mad, but I showed him, and I got right back up on that bike, and I rode it myself. He wasn't even embarrassed. He just smiled. When I went to college, he was fiddling with what else but the luggage and all the boxes. It was Mom who sat down and told me everything will be all right. She did all the writing. He just sent all the checks with a little note about how great the lawn looked now that I wasn't playing football on it. And whenever I called home, he would answer, and he acted like he wanted to talk to me, but he always said, oh, I'll get your mother. When I got married, it was Mom who got all choked up and cried. Dad just blew his nose loudly and left the room. All my life, he would ask, where are you going? What time are you coming home? Do you have enough gas in the car? Who's going to be there? No, you can't go. Not Mom. She just loved me. But Daddy, he just didn't know how to show love unless it's possible he showed it and I just didn't recognize it. See, maybe that's the way it is with you. Maybe your dad really wasn't that great at verbalizing it, but he did his best. And when you look back, maybe you would begin to see ways that he showed love in his own way. So maybe on this day, maybe this would be a great day for you to communicate to your daddy. Express your love and appreciate, appreciation to him for how, however clumsily he shared his love, showed his love. But you know he loved you. And he might not have said it, but he did a lot of things to prove it. Well, you see, this father, he released his son after he gave him his goods. This father gave his son space when it was appropriate. This father was willing to release his son when it was time to do so. At first, I thought this father, you know what, was really a little too permissive, maybe just a bit lenient with this kid. But with some life and parental experience, this, pro this father probably understood something very clearly. He came to the conclusion that it was time to release his boy for his own good and ultimately for the good of his family. His father gives his son room to make choices, even though he knows they're wrong and ultimately they're going to bring some pain to his life. And Jesus is communicating clearly because he's talking about his heavenly father as he's going through this story. When you think about God, think of a father who's generous and gracious and at times will give you things even though you know, even though he knows you'll probably squander it. Make a mess of it. But because he's gracious, because he's loving, and because he gives you the freedom to make those choices, he knows sometimes that's the only way that we get to learn. I don't know about you, but as a father, each passing year, the stakes get higher for us as fathers. We want to control. We want to oversee the destiny of our children. It becomes so difficult to release them. I was just talking to Tim Rogers here the other day, and we were talking about it, how, you know, we want to make our kids' life so easy because we love them. We don't want them to have to struggle and fight, and yet we remember that, well, 
That's how we grew. And sometimes there's a time that we have to learn to release them. Maybe it's riding the bike down to the corner just to go to the store. Maybe it's to spend the night somewhere with somebody. Maybe it's to go away to school. And then it's really hard, isn't it, dads, to, to walk that girl down the aisle and to release her. It's a difficult part. Gary Ezel suggests there's four progressive periods that parents pass through in releasing their children. The first phase is the discipline stage, which is from birth to age five. Here's parents establish their control, and they establish the rules for their children. The second phase is the training phase, which is ages 6 through 12. It's like, a, it's like a private trainer with an athlete where they work with them in different settings and the trainer is able to stop and make adjustments and correction, corrections to show them how to do things properly, how to live life properly. But then there's the third stage, third phase. It's coaching during the teenage years. Now they're in the game of life for themselves. And while parents have input, they can only send in plays and talk to them in huddles during timeouts. Parents no longer can stop the game. Why? Because these kids are on the run. They're calling their own plays. They're making impromptu decisions. But this is the very time where we have to begin to, well, kind of release a little bit. Because then they come to the final phase, which is the friendship phase, which is from usually about age 20 on. It's a great time where we're no longer trying to control or correct them. You know why? Because, well, they're becoming adults. But the problems come when parents either won't release or they release too soon. I don't know about you. Did you have a dad that released you, gave you kind of a good launching pad for life and helped you? Have you ever told him, thanks, Dad, that you didn't try and control my life? But you gave me freedom to live, to make decisions, to make mistakes. That's what this father in here did. Maybe today would be the day that you say, thanks, Dad. Thanks for having that kind of faith, that kind of trust in me and letting me go. Well, the next thing you'll see, this father was willing to forgive a really serious offense. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 14, says this. After the son had sped everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods. The pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. Most of us know feeding pigs is probably about as low as a little Jewish boy could fall. We also understand that when a famine comes, doesn't generosity shrivel up? Notice the change. He goes from this senseless, foolish kid and now as he comes to his senses, he actually detested the guidelines of his father. But now he says, this is stupid. I'm a slave to a stranger. And what's the first thing he remembers? My father, my father, my father will be there. And he does a beeline and he goes back. When leaving home, it was all about him and what he wanted, what he could take. Now as he comes back, he just simply says, make me a servant. And his father comes with compassion. Dads, don't, don't we know how we can handle this? 
We could have unloaded on that son if that was our son. Give him the big dad talk. Look, you took all my money, you wasted it. Now you return to freeload again. What's up? You made your pig pen, now live in it. Any idea what you've done to your mother, how she's worried? How do we know this isn't going to happen again? And by the way, do you know how selfish and hurtful you've been to the ones that have loved you all your life? And you come back a stinking mess. You've been drinking and drugging and running with who knows who. We've tried to teach you through your whole life the consequences of sin. And you didn't listen. You just did your own thing. You know what an embarrassment it is for, for us? People go, well, where's your son? And we don't know. We just know he ran off and took a part of our money and we haven't heard from him. We feel like such a failure because of you. But no, you know what this dad does? He's a picture of our Heavenly Father. He runs and he grabs this son. And listen, he absorbs all of the pain. He absorbs all of the pain from the past. Why? Because he's a fathom father. He's not a fathead. He's a fathom father that he goes, outstretches his hands, and he grips and grabs his stinky, smelly son, and then he walks through the town with him and leads him back home. And notice what he says in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, then bring the fattened calf and slaughter, and let's celebrate with the feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. What a dad. As a teenager, I just uh, before I turned 16, I bought my first car, 63 VW, $265 cash. Two months later, I totaled it. I had to call Dad. Fortunately, I went through the windshield, so I had a bunch of cuts and everything, and had to be taken away in an ambulance and have stitches. Um, so I think he was, you know, he didn't get mad. But he loaned me his VW Fastback. And four months later, I used to go to work at 5 in the morning before I went to school, high school. And, and four months later, I'm driving home with my best friend who's 15, borrowed his parents' car uh, without a license, and we're coming, we're headed to school. He's going to drop the car off at his folks. And we're, we're coming kind of a misty morning in Oregon, and he tries to pass me on a small corner. He clips my left rear fender flips me over into a ditch and he spins out into a field and takes out a big fence. I got to call my dad. And I had the speech. I'm no, long, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, you know. I was going to give, I mean, I was going to give it up. But it wasn't my fault. You know what he did? He didn't explode. Now, we didn't celebrate. <laughs> we, he didn't kill a fatted calf. But he gave me grace. First thing he wanted to know was, are you all right? Maybe some here, you've been forgiven a lot by your father. You went against the family values. You rebelled. 
you embarrassed your parents. Maybe, you know, maybe you had an unwanted pregnancy that was really difficult. Maybe, maybe you spent time in jail. Maybe you've had some heated exchanges, done some really crazy things that hurt your family, yet your dad loved you through it. Your dad hung in there with you. Oh, maybe he seemed harsh at times, didn't always feel like love, but can I tell you what probably happened? That's due to the fear. That's due to the fear and the hurt and the unknown of what's going to happen with your wife. But he was there for you. And maybe today, today it's just time to say, Dad, I know what you did for me. I know you'll love me through those times. I just, I, I, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for being there. That you were a fathom dad, not a fathead. Well, you'll see, too, this, this father loves his sons equally, even though he treated them differently. Verse 25 says, remember there's a big celebration going on? Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, and he asked about what things were going on. Your brother is here, he said, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. He was lost, now he's found. When he became angry, he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and he pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, listen, Dad, I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when his, when his son of yours came in, he devoured your assets with prostitutes, and you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. What an attitude. You got two different sons. The older stayed home, dutifully did what was expected, albeit we see here very begrudgingly, didn't he? The younger son was a free, wild spirit, took off as soon as he could. But the, well, the older son, when he comes back, he really diminishes one of the happiest days of his father's life when his son comes back who was lost, and now he's found. Why? Because he was just totally selfish as he stands around the perimeter of the party and pouts. Puts a damper on it. What's funny is his whole attitude. He says, this son of yours, what a derisive term. He doesn't say, you know, my brother, he says he squandered your wealth with hookers. I find that interesting because there's never any mention of prostitutes in there. I wonder if the reason that he said that is because he thought, you know, if I was doing that, that's what I'd be doing. See, it's a really religious heart. It's a really religious attitude because that's what Jesus is trying to confront here as he tells this story, that the Father is really forgiving and gracious and loving and magnanimous and giving. Whereas, well religious people always look down on. See, this father really couldn't treat these sons the same way because of the situation for each one of them was so different. Maybe some of you here need to look back and be thankful for a father who treated each child differently, yet loved them uniquely. Maybe you blamed your dad for favoritism, and maybe, maybe he did play favorites. But maybe things really were different that you just couldn't see him. It was a different time in your father's life where maybe his work expectations were different. Maybe resources weren't as available during that time that you felt you weren't being favored. 
kids' temperaments are different. Capabilities, aptitudes are totally different. One child might not have been able to cope with temptations better, handle money better, so dad had to spend more time, more energy with them. Sometimes it's the child that is the most needy in areas that get the most attention. It's not out of favoritism. It's simply out of necessity. Uh, But our young minds can miss that. We can grow up with this favoritism complex. Oh, I didn't get treated as well as the other one. If you had a dad that you felt did this, maybe do a little inventory and go back and realize that there were probably reasons why that you don't even need to necessarily know now, but do an inventory and go back and say today, Dad, thanks for loving me differently than my my other siblings because I was unique and you uniquely loved me. Well, how can you show appreciation let me just give you a couple things as we close and have the worship team come back up. Maybe you'd write a handwritten note just to thank you. That maybe just articulate some of these things that you can just say thank you for. I, this last week, I received one letter that wasn't real positive, and then I received a note on the same day that, just, that was probably the most um, positive, uplifting, encouraging note that I've received in a long time. It's kind of like I'm good now for another two weeks. But you don't know the power behind the written word to blow wind into the sails of somebody. And that's one way you could encourage your dad. Maybe spend some time with him doing something that he likes. You know what? Growing up, he always did your stuff. Whatever you were involved in, he was usually there. Maybe you say, Dad, what do you want to do? I want to do it with you. I want to spend some time doing what you want to do. Or maybe just call him, not to ask for advice, not to borrow from, but just to see how he's doing. Does he need anything? How is his life going? We're all different. We all do things differently. But my youngest son, probably once a week, will just send me a text. Good morning, Dad. I love you. Have a great day. Makes my day. You know why? Not because of what was said, but simply that he thought enough about me to just do something. How about this one? Get along with siblings and family. This can be such a crushing blow to a dad when the family doesn't get along, when it's divided in disarray. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, was to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then to love one another. Every father says, I want you to love me, but please love the rest of the family. Learn to get along with one another. And if your father is a Christ follower, and this, this is hard to say because I don't want this to be the motivation because the motivation always has to be what Jesus Christ has done for you and how much the Father loves you. But the greatest way you can honor your Father is to honor his God and his values. You know why? I have one major prayer that I want to make sure that my boys are in heaven with me and my grandson is in heaven with me and their wives are going to be in heaven with me. They don't got to buy me a trip to Pebble Beach. They don't got to buy me a new car. Just let me know that we're going to be in heaven together. If your father's a Christ follower, that's what you can do. But there's another father. There's a heavenly father. Austin Sorensen said this, a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. 
And fathers, men, that's what I challenge you with today. The ultimate call is we're called father because that's what Jesus was the one who revealed God as his father and the father to you and me. And maybe some of you have strayed from that father and he would simply call you back today. You know how you can honor that father on Father's Day? Two things. Be obedient to him. Jesus said, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Secondly, honor him by keeping unity in the body of Christ. Love the people around you. Maybe, maybe you've been wounded by your father. You've been abused. You've been abandoned. Hear this. You need to know that the healing power of our Heavenly Father is greater than the wounding power of any earthly father. And I don't want to diminish anybody that's ever been significantly hurt or abused by a father. But to ever get past that, you will have to determine to be magnanimous and to be forgiving and to show the example of the father in here, even to your father. I want to make sure that you know that God doesn't take that lightly. He wants to bring healing to your life today. It's no small claim or a little truth, loved ones. If you've been hurt, go to the Heavenly Father who can bring healing.